0: Well, it's good to have you here this morning, and we are going to be over in the book of Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, there were two hunters who were out hunting and came upon what appeared to be an abandoned farm. The barn was kind of sagging, the house was uh, not repaired at all, there were some junk cars and junk car parts all scattered around the yard. The only sign that showed that this might be a working farm was a few chickens that were around pecking at things as they walked through. As they entered the yard, they saw a well and they wondered to themselves, how deep is the well? And they looked down, they couldn't see the bottom. So they looked around to find something to throw into the well that they might find out how deep it was. And so as they looked around, the closest thing they could find was one of the old car parts. There was a transmission that was lying around. So they took the transmission and they threw it into the well. And they waited for a little while. Finally... It hit, and it splashed. They could tell, wow, this is a really deep well. And they turned around, and they saw that there was this goat charging at them, head down, horns ready. And uh, they caught it just in time, and they got out of the well, or got out of the the way of the goat, and the goat went right to the well, right over the wall, and right in. Funniest thing they'd ever saw. They'd be amazed this, this thing just went right in. Well, a little bit later, as they're getting ready to leave, the farmer came up and saw them and began to chat with the farmer and talk with him and, and, and such. And the farmer said, have you seen my goat? And they said, oh, that goat, he said, it came over here, charged us as we were standing here. Uh, you, ought, you ought to keep a goat like that tied up. I says, well, it was tied up to an old transmission somewhere around here. <laughs> Some of the things that we are tied to can bring us down. We're going to begin to look at that here in Matthew chapter 19 because sometimes we are tied to some things that we think are helpful and they actually are not. They're actually going to hurt us some. A couple of weeks ago, we uh, looked at wedding at Cana, Jesus' first miracle, and we said the first miracle would set a precedence. He said, she came up to the men and she said, whatever he says to you, do it. And we learned that sets a precedence, and they did that. They did exactly what he said, didn't question it, just went ahead and did it. it said that wishing hope waits for some, something to happen, but word hope acts on faith to make something happen. We need to not just have faith, but we need to act on it. We looked at blind Bartimaeus. We saw that the Word of God told us that blind Bartimaeus had faith, but he was still blind. He didn't have faith to be healed or he didn't become healed until he acted on the faith that he had. There's a lot of Christians out there that are being told they have no faith because they still face their problem. But the word of God is very clear with blind Bartimaeus and a few others that they had faith before they were healed. The woman with the issue of blood, she had faith. If I just touched the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She didn't get faith when she touched the hem of his garment, did she? She had faith, but was still sick. We can have faith and still be involved in our problem until we find something to act on, until we find something that our, problem, that our faith is in that we can act on to change, our, change the thing that we are facing. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, the word here for good is the word for good we run into many times. It's the word agathos. It means good in the sense of benefit. It is beneficial, something that will benefic- benefit you. Many We use this word many times or use this concept many times. We go to the grocery store and we begin to look at the different things that are available for us to get. We look at which ones are beneficial. We look at which ones are going to help us. Which ones have the most nutritional value. Which ones are going to not cost us a whole lot of money. These are the things that we do. Now he says to them, good teacher. Same word. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. No one is good but one that is God. Now, he's not denying that he is good. What he is saying is, are you ready to to admit that I'm God? Are you ready to admit that I'm the one who is good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He says to him, what good thing shall I do? What good thing shall I do? This is is what the world is always asking. What good things do we need to do to be saved? What good things do we need to do to have eternal life? This is what he is asking. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, he says a whole lot in this statement. First off, this man does not believe that he has eternal life, right? If he believed that he had it, he wouldn't ask what he had to do to get it does not believe. So he has been keeping the commandments since he was a youth and does not believe he has eternal life. Boy, what a sad state that would be. How many of you know, do you know Christians who show up to church, read the Bible, pray, believe in God, do good things, try and keep their life you know, in, the, in line with what the Word of God says and still wonder if they have eternal life? could be Because they're in a works mentality. They, got, they came over from faith and they fell in the works. What good thing must I do to have eternal life? He's still trying to get it. He's still trying to get saved, have eternal life. What good thing shall I do? Now, this is what his focus is on. It's on the good things that he needs to do. This is where a lot of times we get into into problems. We get into this even though we understand. Sometimes we come into an understanding that, all right, I am saved. I'm going to heaven. But when we need a healing, what kind of things come to mind? Oh, maybe if I did this. Maybe if I pray longer. Maybe if I read the Word longer. Maybe if I share Jesus with more people, maybe then I'll get healed. We're looking for good things to do in order to get healed or to receive what we need from God. We need to get a job. We need to have finances. We're looking for what good thing must I do to get this. We've stepped outside of the realm of faith and we step into the area of works. You can be very diligent as a Christian in the area of works. You're just going to be wrong. Our diligence doesn't necessarily identify us. <clears throat> this man, since he was young, had been keeping the law since he was young. No one is good, Jesus says, but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, is Jesus telling us here that if we keep the commandments, we can have eternal life? Well, the word of God is real clear. Well, you can't keep the commandments. And by the time that you become knowledgeable of them, you probably already have busted a few. But beside that, we are born into this world on our way to hell. Jesus just comes in to try and interfere with that. He doesn't have to do anything to send us to hell. We're already going in that direction. But he comes along to try and direct us into another way. Put in your outline that it is easier for our flesh to rely on something to do instead of something done. Salvation is based on what Jesus has done, not on what we do. We have to get that mentality. But we've got to keep that mentality. Remember the Galatians? They had that mentality when Paul was there, but then they left it. And they fell off of that mentality. And they fell into a mentality of what must I do? But That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to walk into a mentality of what must I do. We've got to walk into a mentality of what has been done. You are healed because of what has been done. You are saved because of what has been done. You receive help in the area of finances because of what has been done, done. not what I do. But that mentality is always out there trying to find its way into us. You got to make sure that you, you stay off of that. So he said in verse 17, so he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? What he's really trying to get at is are there are are there some that pay a higher dividend than others? (laughs) Right. Are there certain ones that if you do those, you kind of get more points than if than other ones. So so which ones are the ones that I should focus on? Which are the ones that I should really be attentive to? Which are the ones that, you know, I I don't want to waste my time here. I, I want to be efficient. Which ones are the ones that I should really focus on? Now, how many of you all know that there are certain people out there, certainly not you, but other people, who, who emphasize some commandments over the others? I mean, if you go up to somebody who's not saved, doesn't go to church, they say, do you believe God's going to send you to hell? Of course, God doesn't send anybody to hell. They're just on their way, but that's what their belief is. Do you believe, And well, I haven't really done anything bad. I haven't killed anybody. That's usually the first one out of their mouth, right? So by saying that, the, the number one commandment in the Word of God is? Thou shalt do no murder to them. That's the number one commandment. Thou shalt do no murder. Is that the number one commandment to God? No, Jesus told us what the number one commandment was. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second, number two, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So those are the top two commandments according to Jesus. But according to men, we've, you know, we've kind of staggered them. So it's not a bad thing to prioritize the commandments. It's just better to get it right. <laughs> Aaron, amen. You know, when you, when you see people, you're in, you're in class, you're studying, and the professor comes out and he says, all right, we're going to have a test on chapters 1 through 10. But in particular, chapter 2, chapter 5, and chapter 6. And where should your emphasis be? <laughs> if you emphasize 1, 3, and 4, that's not going to help you out a whole lot, is it? I mean, it may have, there's going to be some questions on it. But if he says 2, 5, and 6, then you need to focus on. And then put some other time into the rest of it. So what he's saying here is, here's the top two commandments. You want to focus your efforts, focus it here. But then he goes on to say, and he tells us, if you keep these two, you'll find you're going to keep all of them. For all the law is, kept, is, is locked up in these. Now, keep that in mind as Jesus answers this question. Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. Oops, isn't that the number one for most people around here? You go to them, they think murder is the number one. I haven't killed anybody. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Now, if you ask people on the street, You're going to hell. Well, I haven't really done anything really bad. I haven't killed anybody. I didn't rob any banks. Right? There's some of the things that are there. He also threw adultery in. I'm sure some people on the street could probably say we haven't committed adultery, but that's not going to be everybody. And so for those people, they would, of course, lower that one down a little bit lower. (laughs) You shall not bear false witness? He's not just talking about lying there. He's talking about bearing a witness that so-and-so did such-and-such. You shall not bear false witness. Now, if you want to have a parenthesis in there, if you, want to, if you write in your Bible, so if you have your Bibles open, if you want to write anything, you can almost write in the parenthesis gossip. How often is gossip false witness? Yeah. So Jesus, he reads this off. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he missed the greatest commandment of all, didn't he? Maybe it was that later on in life he became aware that that was the number one commandment. What do you think? Think that might be it? (laughs) He left out completely, you shall love the Lord your God. He left out about not having any graven images. He did get this one, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he got the second one, but he didn't name the first one. If you look at the commandments, you will find out that everything he did was in a relationship to him, to other people. He did not give one commandment between him and God. How many think that was on purpose? The young man said to him, he's probably breathing a sigh of relief right now. Oh, yeah, you got the ones I was really focusing on. Good, all right. <laughs> all these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Now, this is pretty good for a man to be able to stand before Jesus. He's not trying to lie to him. He's got to firmly believe that he's been doing this since his youth. And he's been emphasizing the commandments that deal between him and other people. I've been keeping these since my youth. Now, Jesus doesn't, keep, Jesus doesn't teach that if we keep the commandments, we have eternal life. Jesus teaches us that if we believe, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we believe in the salvation that comes through Jesus, if we believe in the sacrifice of the Lamb, we shall have life. So why is he messing around with this guy in this area? Put in your outline that Jesus gives some of the commandments here, but stays away from those that are, be- that are more between God and man. The man here says, what do I still lack? What do I still lack? i want to go over to another script- scripture, same, uh, same story. But in Luke chapter 18, verse 21, and he said, "All these things as I have kept from my youth." So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, "You still lack one thing. Sell so all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Sell so all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven." Now, here's a thing that we, we often compare words in the same passage. We learn some things from this, but here's this one's a little bit different. In the story in Matthew, Matthew attributes the word lack to the man who's trying to keep the commandments. In Luke's account, he uses the word lack in the response that Jesus gives. What's interesting to note is that both words are different. Both words are different. They are not the same word for lack. I brought this up on here because every once in a while, I, I haven't done it in a long time, but c- comparing words that are used in the Greek is a phenomenal thing to do for study. It is so much fun. And you don't have to have a Greek knowledge to be able to do it. But the Greek has, what we have one word for, they have five or six. And they mean different things. Their, Their meanings are very, very deep. Generally, if you don't have a copy of Vines, this is one of the best ones to get. If you had a copy of Vines and you compared this here, this is what is basically being sent. It said between the two. The man is saying, what am I coming up short on? What am I lack? What am I not quite having sufficiency in? What Jesus responds to him in that he lacks, he is saying this, you are being left behind because of the lack. It is a lack in that you are being left behind. It is basically like this. If you went to the store and you had to bring home apples for all the guests that were coming to your house, I don't know why, but you're bringing home apples for all the people that are at your house. And you go to the store and you grab a dozen apples and 18 people showed up at your house. You come up short. You don't have sufficient. That's what the man is saying. What things do I lack? What is it that I am coming up short in? Because I don't feel that I've gotten to the place where I have inherited eternal life. Jesus is saying this to him. You have lack in that you thought you had sufficient tank of gas to get to where you went to. But you came up short and you got left behind. You didn't make it. That's what he's basically saying. Does that give you a better picture of this? Not having sufficiency is what the man is talking about. What Jesus is saying is you have lack so that you don't finish the journey. You don't get there. Does that make more sense? But you have to compare both stories to be able to see that. That's why it's so neat to have the same story in, in, in both places. And if you ever want to study the things of Jesus, don't ever just stay in one gospel go to all of them. If the story is in two, go to both. If it's in three, go to three. If it's on all four, make sure you get all four. Generally, most stories are in two or three. Once in a while you run into some that are one and some that are in four, but most of the time you're going to see that most stories come in twos and and two gospels or three gospels and you get different perspectives from it. Brother Hagin used to tell us about perspectives. He said, if you climb up a mountain from the south side and you look out, you get one view. If you climb up the same mountain on the north side and you look out, you get an entirely different view, but it's the same mountain. So get all the views. Get the whole picture. So the word here, lack. We understand what that is. All these things I kept from my youth, what do I still lack? In other words, I don't feel like I've quite gotten there yet. There must be something I'm insufficient in. There must be something I'm not quite doing enough of. So which of the commandments are the ones that I need to focus on more so that I have sufficiency, is what he is saying. What Jesus is answering him is that you lack, you come up short in that you don't make it to the end of the journey. He says it this way. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect or one thing you lack, is how uh, Luke put it, go, sell what you have, And give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, here's a a question to ask. In both places, Jesus says, One thing you well, in the the Luke account, he says, one thing you lack. But in one thing you lack, he gives them a list of things to do. How is it that you can lack one thing and have a list? (laughs) If, If it's one thing, then here it is. One thing you lack. But then he gives them a list of things to do. Go, sell what you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. So what is it that he lacks? Does he lack in that he has too much stuff? Does he lack in that he has not given sufficiently to the poor? Or does he lack in that he has no treasure in heaven? Which one is it? How many of you all like those tests, you know, you get multiple choice tests, test? A, B, C, or they're D, all of the above, or then sometimes we'll throw an E, none of the above. You know, I always get those in there just to mess you up. And sometimes, you know, I have those things, and, well, I think two of them are right, so if, I'm not sure about that third one, but if I'm, I'm pretty sure about two, so I'm going to say all of the above. And so you, sometimes you guess at it that way, and, and you look at that, and you, you look at them and say, well, I know one's not right. I know two's not, but three, I'm not sure. I think three's right, so you're not quite ready to put none of the above, but you know it just messes you up. You're just gonna... Well, we got choice A, sell what you have. Choice B, give to the poor. Choice C, treasure in heaven. You can even put in here maybe even a D, come follow me. Maybe that's what he's lacking. But then we have a list of four things. And then if you tack on one of the above, or none of the above, or all of the above. That's a lot of choices for lacking one thing. What is the one thing that he lacks? And how is he supposed to understand this? Because he lacks one thing, is what Jesus says. If Jesus says you lack one thing, you come up short in one area. You come up short in the sense that you're not finishing the journey. You're insufficient to get there. Which one is it? Have you come has he come up insufficient in the journey of selling what he has? That's kind of a weird, weird thing. Has he come up insufficient in the journey of giving to the poor? Has he come up insufficiency in the in the journey of treasure in heaven? How many are your money is on that one? <laughs> My money's on treasure in heaven. He needs more treasure in heaven. That's, he needs something to get him over. Uh, come, follow me. Well, if if it's treasure in heaven. If that's what he's saying, then he doesn't need to come follow him because if he did one and two, it says he would have treasure in heaven, there would be nothing more to do, right? Because he says, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. So those two things, selling what he has, giving it to the poor, that will produce for him treasure in heaven. Not to come follow him. So why tack that on at the end? I would propose to you, E, none of the above. I propose to you that Jesus does not tell him what one thing he lacks. He tells him a list of things that will pinpoint what it is that he lacks. Remember Jesus' response to him. You shall not murder. shall not commit adultery shall not steal, shall not bear false witness, shall love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't talk about any of the commandments between him and God. Nothing. So what is the one thing? I put it down as this. Trust in God. He is lacking one thing. He does not trust God. If he trusted God... Would he not have a little bit more assurance of eternal life if he trusted God? How does it that we have assurance in, in, how do we have our assurance in eternal life? We trust God. God said it. He told us in his word. We trust it. So we have eternal life. It's trust. That's what God is there. Put in your outline this, it is easier to trust in the thing we have in abundance Than to trust in what we possess that is unseen. It is easier to trust in the thing we have in abundance than to trust in what we possess that is unseen. Because we are naturally drawn to the things that we see, the things that we touch, the things. uh, I can believe in what I see. Jesus said, Blessed are those who believe and have not. Yeah, because they got to trust. We got to get that trust factor going on. In this world, how many of you know the voice of riches is very loud? There's a whole lot of things that you can have if you have riches: you have a better car, better house, can have better clothes, you have better stuff. But what he's telling him here is this. Give up the things that you have. Give up the things that you trust in and put your trust into something else. What he lacked, what he came up insufficient on, not enough to make the journey, is he does not have trust in God. And it's not getting him there. Now, I put this in your outline. Giving up and letting go are very different. Giving up and letting go are very different. You give up what you have been blessed with. God has given you a blessing and you can give some of those things up. When you give up something, you're giving up something that has been a blessing to, from, from God. When you come in and you bring in your tithes and your offerings, you are giving up something. You are bringing in something that is okay to be yours. God gave it to you. God blessed you with it, but you're bringing it bringing it back. You're, you're giving it up. When you take some of your time and you serve God, you are giving up what is yours. Is it bad for you to have time? No, it's not bad. That's a, that's a thing from that God has, God has blessed each one of us with 24 hours in a day. What we do with those 24 hours is up to us. But all of us have been blessed with it. You give up. What you've been blessed with. But you let go of what you were not supposed to have in the first place. You give up what God has blessed you with. But sometimes we need to let go of some stuff. Why? Because it's holding us back. We are tied to it. And just like that goat, it'll take us right on down the well. We need to let go of some things in our life that we weren't supposed to have. They don't necessarily have to be bad for everybody. But it's not something that I was supposed to have. It's not something that I was supposed to walk in. It's not a direction that I was supposed to go. Because your calling, your direction was different. This is what God had laid out for you. And I took hold of that thing. I'm not supposed to have it, but I took it. And I've got it. I'm not giving that up for God. i got to let it go. Because it's holding me back. That could be something in the area of feelings. Emotions. Stuff, direction, purpose, people, all sorts of stuff like that. Some examples of this, things that we should give up are relations, relationships sometimes. What did Jesus say about people who let the dead bury their... When a guy says, I want to go bury my father. In other words, I want to wait for him to die. When he dies, I'll bury him, then I'll go. And Jesus says... Let the dead bury their own dead. He said, if you're not willing to leave fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and so forth, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Relationships cannot hold you back from doing what God says to do. So relations are the first one. That'd be something that you can give up. Is the relationship that you have there bad? I mean, sometimes when we were growing up, we had relationships with wrong people. We had friends we shouldn't have had. Some of us had girlfriend-boyfriend relationships that were bad. And we had to let them go. We're not giving them up for God. God says, I didn't take you to that. Let it go. we got to let some of those things go. Some relationships can be good. Some relationships can be bad. We can get around some people that they... They say they're Christians, but they're not walking in the way of God. They're not walking in the way of faith. They're not walking in the way that we ought to follow. And we need to give some of those things up or let some of those things go. I'm sorry. Some relationships are, are, are bad. But then there are some relationships that God has blessed. Brothers and sisters, we enjoy them. But God says, I need you to go over here. Oh, but I'll, I'll lose. But I need you to go over here. See, it's an okay to have that relationship. But don't have it hold you back from God. You look at people in the Testament: Peter, John, Matthew, all the disciples. What did they say when they found out the teachings that Jesus does? And it's in this passage. We'll get to it here in just a little bit. But we have left everything. Peter left his wife. Had a mother-in-law. You don't get a mother-in-law without a wife. Package deal. So he's wandering around with Jesus. He walked away from some relationships in order to do that. Moses, to answer the call of God, had problems with his wife. And halfway on the trip, she went home. But he kept going. No, this is what God has called me to do. I need to go. I need to to do it. And he went on. But then you have other folks. Um, Lot, his wife, she looked back. Why? Well, she had some stuff back there. She wasn't ready. Relationships, maybe. Maybe stuff. Maybe a place. Whatever it might be. But she wasn't ready to let that go. <laughs> she, she wanted to go, oh, I'm not quite ready to let that go yet. They weren't supposed to be in that place. They went in there and lost everything. So one example would be relations. Uh, relationships. Or relations, I just put in there. Another one would be possessions. Relationships have to, have to sometimes go and possessions sometimes have to go. Sometimes the things that we possess have to go. That's what Jesus was telling this guy. You got some possessions. You got some stuff. Sell it. When you get done selling it, I still don't want you to trust in it, so give it to the poor. After you do that, you will have treasure, but it'll be in heaven now. When you do that, then come follow me. All of it was about trust. Do you trust me enough to do these things? He didn't. Possessions is another one. We can sometimes have some stuff. Now, sometimes we have some possessions that are holding us back. Sometimes we have some possessions that God has blessed us with, and he says, I need you to give that I need you to sow that to somebody. Will you take that possession you have, and would you give it to so-and-so? Will you sow it? Oh, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I know. I know you do. But will you? Hmm. I've used the story before, but I I thought it was a good one. Brother Creflo Dollar tells a story of when God told him to give away, I think it was three suits. And it was, uh, he, he loved those suits. He enjoyed those suits. He liked those suits. So he decided to give away five or six other suits that were not as much, he was not as much in love with. And he gave away those five or six ones. And God said, I told you to give away those three suits, but I gave him five or six, these other ones. I told you to give away those three suits. So finally he did it. He gave away those three suits to the person. Now he's out all these suits. He has hardly any suits left. And God says, I didn't tell you to give all them away. I told you to give away three. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, sometimes we do that. Now, there was another minister who had a bike, had a motorcycle. And boy, he was in love with that motorcycle. And God told him to take that motorcycle and walk it across the street and give it to his neighbor. He didn't want to do it. Finally, he did it. And God blessed that whole situation. He got a better motorcycle in the end but there's that giving up stuff is a trust thing because if I give up what I have, I may not get something back as good. I, I don't know how well that'll work. I'd um, I, I like it to work, but I'm not sure there's a trust issue that's involved. Can I really do what God is saying? So relationships, possessions, third, actions. Things that we... Do. There are some things that we do that are okay to do. It's a blessing of God that you can do them, but God says, I need you to stop doing that. I need you to not do that anymore. You're, you can do that. You're free to do that, but I need you to stop. Sometimes God wants us to do something. Maybe it's, it's something in our life that's just taking up time. Maybe it's something in our life that uh, will just hold us back into time down the road, whatever it might be. It's okay to do it, but God says... I need you to stop it. Now, sometimes we have some actions that we shouldn't have started. We shouldn't have picked up. We're not giving them up for God. We need to let them go. I wasn't supposed to have them in my life anyway. So I summed up these, uh, these examples by this way. Or people, places, things, and things to do. People, places, things, and things to do. Or some things that we can give up or some things that we can let go. But the blessing of God is on the giving up. And the only thing I can give up is the things that I have been given that are a blessing from God. Not the things that I took on that I was not supposed to be a part of. But the Word of God tells us here that when the young man heard the saying, what did he do? He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He had a lot of stuff. That would be involved a whole lot of selling. He didn't want to sell all that stuff off. He, he liked having all that stuff. All that stuff meant something to him. Word says he has great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Now the man went away. He's gone. But Jesus had told him, Come follow me. Jesus does not give that invitation to everybody. Only gave it to a few. He could have been the 13th disciple. Would the third, number 13 still have been an unlucky number then? don't know somehow we got this thing about 13 you know, apollo 13 came up and they always had bad thoughts about number 13 before that happened that just kind of helped them out with a, that whole thing they were even talking about before they went up oh this is the bad number and uh, they had all sorts of trouble but all kinds of victories too some uh, high rises you go up to they don't have a 13th floor they got a 12th and a 14th well that's crazy they have a 13th floor they're just not calling it that You can't can't build a building without a 13 floor if you have 14, 15, and 16. Somewhere along the line, there's number 13. You're just calling it something different. And he said to his disciples, Verily I say to you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now we can get into all kinds of discussion as to what the eye of the needle is. And you know, there's two different... Uh, schools of thought. One is there's a gate in the wall that was called the eye of the needle. And in order to get a camel through it, you had to take everything off of the camel. This is the nighttime gate that you used. Everything had to come off the camel in order to get the camel to go through. The other one is an actual eye of a needle. And we look at that and say, there's no way that the camel can pass in. No matter what you take off of the camel, camel can't get through the eye of a needle. Well, all we had to do is just look what the disciples said. When, the, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? So we get from the disciples' reaction to what Jesus said that they see it as he's saying it's impossible. So we don't have to debate about what eye of the needle he was talking about. What we, have to, what we can get from this is Jesus saying, It's pretty much impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. He's just using the phrase, It is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And the disciples come out of there and says, man, who can be saved then? Hmm. Go over to Luke chapter 18, verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful and he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now he becomes sorrowful. He had some affection for this man. This man was not just some guy who was just trying to exploit a situation. He was sincere and he turned away this invitation. Jesus was sorrowful. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So both places have that saying exact. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? Now look at Jesus' response. But he said, The things which are what? Impossible, impossible with men are possible with God. So Jesus meant every bit to convey the idea that it is impossible. For a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So this kind of amazed the disciples. And they said, well, <laughs> this, this isn't good. This isn't, this isn't good. Now, this bothered a lot of them because most of them had some money. Peter, had his own, Peter and John, they had their own fishing business. James was in there too. Uh, they had boats and nets. That takes an investment. They left all that stuff in the care of other people. They didn't leave the business. They kept the business going, but they still had that going. Matthew was a tax collector. Most tax collectors were pretty well off. Luke followed him. He was a doctor. I don't know how doctors were paid back then, but if they're paid anything like they are now, they're usually in the upper scale of of, uh, salaries. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What he's saying this is, is this, salvation is a work of God, not of people. Salvation is a work of God, not of people. As long as you look at salvation as a work of men, it is impossible. But if you look at salvation as a work of God, all things are possible. He's saying it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven because a rich man has more that he can depend on, more that he can trust in, and more that he thinks will get him over to the other side. And it's sometimes hard to get them to believe something different. Back over to Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said to him, Behold, we have forsaken all and follow thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said to him, How dare you expect the reward for what you have done? That's not in your translation? No. That's the way most of us live. How many of us think that it is wrong to expect a reward from God for the things that you do? No, I just do it out of the love of my heart. I just love God, so I just do it for love. Uh-huh. He doesn't rebuke him for that, does he? Behold, we have forsaken all followed thee. Now, I don't know if he's been thinking about this for a while. Or just, uh, just this opportunity brought it up and said, wait a minute, we, I didn't even think about it before, but we kind of gave up a lot of stuff to follow you. Uh, what's in it for us? What are we going to get? You told this guy what he would get. What, what, are, you, what are we going to have? We, we forsook a lot. Now, they didn't sell it and give it to the poor, but they did forsake a lot of things. What shall we have there? there uh, what shall we have? What's going to come to us? And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that you... Somehow I got that into King James. Messing me up. It is messing me up. I'll tell you, I'll keep reading this thing. as a why in the world did I copy it over like that? But anyway, that's what I have. Let's pull it on the screen. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the, the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Whoa! Oh, wow. Really? We have forsaken what we did, and we're going to have each one of us a throne. Mm. Man, this is good. Well, I mean, I, I was expecting, you know, we get a little bit more than maybe the other people, but a, we're, we're going to have a, we're going to judge Israel. Man. and they began to think about this because down the road you going to have, they're going to have a question because they are went home, you know, John and James. They told mom about it. <laughs> mom, we're going to have a throne. So mom began to think about the throne. Hmm. Throne's got to be put somewhere in there. All right, so she goes to Jesus and says, look, all right, they're going to have thrones. Can, uh, can one son sit on your right and the other son sit on your left? Would that be okay? <laughs> Jesus is basically saying, look, I said they'd have a throne. It's up to God where they're going to sit. <laughs> So, you know, they started doing some meditating on what they're going to get. So here's what we got. We, we, each of you are going to sit on a throne. Judging. Go on to verse 29. And everyone who has left houses, stuff, possessions, places, or brothers, sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or wife, or children, or lands, relationships. Again, places. For my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. You will inherit a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. What was the man's question to begin with? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he tells his disciples, you've left all that. You didn't leave it for the gain that you would get. You left it because you trusted in me. And since you left it, trusting in me, this is what you're going to get. Here are you guys. 12 thrones. 12. Wow. Now you all know that one of them fell off. That would mean that one throne is going to be empty, right? That's why the disciples got around and said, we need to pick a 12th one. We need to have somebody else who's going to be in that position. And so they began to look at because there's a whole lot more people who follow them than the 12. And so they took out of that group, out of that number of those people who followed Jesus, and they said, We need to pick one. And so they drew lots and they did different things. And there, there have been people out there that picked on them and they said they picked the wrong guy, that Paul should have been the 12th one. Paul didn't qualify. Paul did not follow Jesus. Paul did not know the life of Jesus. Paul could not have borne testimony of Jesus. Paul was not supposed to be on one of these thrones. The ones who were were the ones who left all followed him. And so the disciples did right by picking from the group that they did because they had to pick the ones who left all to follow him. So they picked the right ones. Don't don't have any fault with that. Go on to verse uh, 30. But many... Who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. In other words, we may look at things, we may order things in one way, but God orders them completely different. We may look at this one and say, Oh, they certainly ought to be at the head. And God says, No. They're kind of behind there. They're lacking in too many things. And we may look at this one and say, Oh, they're surely not uh, great in the kingdom, but God says, No, they have abundance. That you can't see, that you can't uh, take a look at all. They have far more going on than you realize. Now, here in your outline, I put this to give up what he has not asked. Because sometimes people just want to give up stuff. They just come up with stuff. Well, I'm going to give up this. I'm going to give up that. Well, if God hasn't asked you to. Then sometimes we are throwing away or leaving what we may need. You don't give up what God doesn't ask. Because you may throw away what you may need. If God tells one person to give up and to sell all and follow him, that doesn't mean that you are. He may need you to have the stuff that you got. He may need you to be in the position that you are. Just because you give up something doesn't mean you gave up what God asked. It is hard to do this without attracting attention. Because this is going to bring you into the spotlight. Whenever you give up something, especially if it's something great, it's going to bring you into the spotlight. But that's okay. If God has called you for it, then you need to be in the spotlight. But if God has not, you're going to be brought into a spotlight you're not supposed to be in. That may not work out so well. But there are some things we need to give up. There are some things that we need to do. series here has been, give God something to work with. If you want to give God something to work with, sometimes He asks you to give up something in order to do something with you later. It doesn't mean that the thing that you had was bad because you can't give up what you're not supposed to have. Abraham was called to give up his son. Abraham, your son, your only son, the son you love, taking sacrifice. So what did he do? Went up there to sacrifice it. Went up there, took him up in the mountain. He's ready to do what God said to do. If God asks you to, Go ahead now. There may be other people since Abraham's time who wanted to sacrifice their firstborn son. Give you a minute on that one. Maybe acting up. Maybe disruly. But that's not the way to go about it. God has asked us to do some things, and some of it involves giving up. And sometimes we are resistant to it. One of the easiest cases to get into is tithing. That's an easy one to get into because God has asked us to tithe. And that involves what? Trust. I got to trust that God is going to do more with the 90% that is left than if I have all 100% or whatever other percentage we, we come up with. There's a trust factor that's in there, right? I, I, I can't give up this because I, I, I'm not trusted. I, I don't know. I got this like Jolly was talking about today. I got this mortgage. I got this thing going. I, I don't know that I can... I can do that. When we don't give up, it holds us back. It holds us back. Now, I've put, put in your, uh, the bulletin for the past couple of weeks just about that uh, our need that we had over there with the, with the um, heater. Sometimes what people like to do in their giving is they put in their, their normal tithes, but then they designate it for a certain thing. And they try to make their tithe out to be their offering. It is impossible for you to give an offering into anything until you have first brought the tithe. How can you give God over and above the 10% if you haven't brought in the 10? The best benefit in the Word of God is on the offering. But you can't get there until you tithe you got to give that up. There's a trust factor that's there. And it, 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 you, you start to move into this. Anytime you move into a truth, enemies will come. When Jesus said the sower sows the word, when he sows it into first places, the birds come and they eat it. The enemy will come and try and steal that word. The cares of this life will come up and will try and choke out the word that you got. You will have things that will come, but the ones that resist all that and grow up produce some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. It's the word of God that's producing that. There are times when God will say, you need to do such and such. You need to go in such a direction and I need to be ready to do it. If God wants me to sow an offering because by me sowing an offering, it will bring me great reward down the road. I have to make sure that I'm in a position to do it. I'm not in a position if I haven't brought my tithes. There's a whole lot of people out there who want to put the promises of the offering onto their tithes or to take part of their tithe and turn it into an offering. You can't mess with the word like that. We're not getting into all that detail right now. Sometime maybe down the road here we'll spend some time into it and and look at all that, but that's what's in the word of God about, about tithing. And the folks in the Old Testament, they had three different tithes that they brought, three different ones. And then they had offerings over and above that. Three different ones. Now, they weren't paying the tax rate that we were. You might be saying it. That is probably true. They, they weren't doing that. But we do still serve the same God. And what, what is impossible with men possible. is possible with God. But we have to trust Him. We have to be willing to do some things that do not look like on paper that they will make sense. We have to be willing to, to do that. On your job, God may call you to do a thing. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. But he may call on you. I, I need you to, to do something. I need you to make a stand here. Oh, but the people and the, 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 the folks I work with, they won't like that. They'll think I'm showing them up. I need you to stand for this principle. I need you to do it. I need you to do it in a vocal way. I need, you to, I need other people to see that I'm going to come through for you. Sometimes God may come to you and says, I need you to stand up and say, God is going to do this. Oh, but they don't. I need you to do it. If God witnesses for us that he needs us to do something, we need to do it. There are some things that we need to give up. Some of them are relationships. Some of them are possessions. And some of them are actions. But when we do it, there is a reward. Remember the story I told you a long time ago? I still love that story. Brother Hagin, who was a tither, brought his tithe in, the, in there and um, he was at a meeting he was uh, on the road at the time traveling from church to church he had given up being a pastor and was traveling from different churches and as he was finishing the one meeting he had about 25 dollars in his pocket and that was that was guest money credit cards were not around that was his guest money to get to the next meeting and god said i want you to take that 25 dollars and give it to that person right over there that's my guest money how am i going to get to the next meeting I need you to give that $25 to that person right on over there. $25 isn't a whole lot. I need you to give that 20 So he gave it. Gave it to him. Made it to his next meeting. I forget the story of how he made it to the next meeting, whether anybody helped him out with that or he just made it. But he got there, got to the next meeting. Somewhere down the road, another time came up. He had $20 in his pocket. I need you to give that $20, you had You only $20 that you got to this person over here. Remember, he's a tither. He's already paid up on his tithes. He can sew offerings. So he took that $20 and he gave it out and sowed that offering. Happened the third time. And then he was getting ready. He was in a meeting and he was getting ready for the evening meeting in the afternoon. And he was in his uh, room where he was at. They usually stayed at the pastor's house and the motels weren't the big thing that you did with guest speakers. They stayed at a, hotel, a room that you had in the pastor's house. And he's meditating on the scriptures, laying there on the bed and he saw a vision of the night service. It was a vision because he was awake. It wasn't a dream. And he saw in that vision, he saw six people wheeled in on wheelchairs over on the left-hand side of the stage. And he saw him go up and lay his hands on each one of them, and five of them got out of the wheelchairs and walked. One did not. Five of them got out of the wheelchairs and walked. He saw that in the afternoon. He went over into the meeting, and as he went into the meeting, sure enough, exactly as he saw it in that vision, six wheelchairs lined up. He went over and did as he saw and he laid hands on each of those six people. Five of them got up and walked right then. Walked around the the meeting and were freed from the wheelchair. He got back to the room later on and was thinking about these things and God spoke this to him. Not in a loud audible voice but in a small voice on the inside. He said, Kenneth, if you had not been faithful, if you had not given that $25, that $20, those times when I asked, I could not have done that with you this evening. There's times we need to give up something that is totally and completely and rightfully ours. It is a blessing from God. Not something we took wrongly, but something that God blessed us with. And we need to sometimes bring it to Him. And when we do that act of obedience, God can do something. We all know Abraham's act of obedience caused salvation to come to all. A woman who was a widow, her act of obedience of feeding Elijah provided for her and her family until the drought was over. We've had times in the Word of God where someone does something like that because God said, Do this, have faith, trust in this. Just like the woman, just like Abraham. We need to listen to the voice of God because when he tells us to give something up, it is because there's a blessing on the other side. And as long as we hold on to it, we are kept from it. The rich young ruler here had a blessing on the other side. He had an inkling that something more could be there. He came to Jesus to ask about it. And Jesus said, if you do this, you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. The man left. And Jesus was sorrowful because of it. He had put himself in a position to receive this charge from God. He didn't offer this charge to everybody, but he offered it to this man. This man had lived his life in such a way that he was in a position for God to offer this to him, for Jesus to offer this to him. And he offered it, and the man turned it down. You have lived your life in such a way as to put yourself in a position for God to bless you. For God to do something for you. For God to do something on your behalf. But you need to give Him something to work with to get you to the other side. What is He speaking to you? Not what He's speaking to other people. Other people are in different places. Other people are in different Uh, areas of their walk. Other people are in a position for God to say something different to them. It's not important what God is saying to others. What is God saying to you to do? You listen. You hear it. And there's a blessing for it. God will take you into some great places if you're willing to give up what He's asking for you to do i not talking about letting go. If you know that something you have hold of in your life shouldn't be having hold of it, let it go. But you got something in your life. It's every, you have every right to have it. It's a blessing from God. And God says, I want you to give that up. I want you to do this for so and so. I want you to bless it in this way. Listen to him because he's got something better. He's got something good for you. Would you all stand up? Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here and you say, God is speaking to me. He is telling me something that I need to do. Something that I need to give up. An action, a possession, relationship. There's something I need to give up. You already know it. You've already heard God. Don't feel like you've got to be spiritual. And say, oh, I'm sure there is. There's got to be something. You may may have already been in a position to give something up and you did it and now you're getting yourself in a position for God to do it again. Just because you don't have this in your life right now doesn't mean you're not in the right place. But if you are in that place and God is saying, I need you to give this up and you know it, raise your hand up. I know I'm in that spot and God says he's giving this up. He's been speaking to me. I know it. (laughs) All right. Father, you see the hands that are up. These are people that you are speaking to. They are at a place right now. They have lived their life in such a way that they're in a position to move on to another level. And you are saying, I need you to willingly give up what is rightfully yours. What is not wrong for you to do in any way, but I need you to give it up in order to be able to move you on to the next spot. You're speaking to them, and I thank you, Father, for the way that you've grown them up. This This is a step for them. This is a place of trust. Trust is going to be expanded. Trust is going to be grown here. But you brought them to that place. They'll have a choice. They can react like the man in the story here, which for you would bring sorrow. Or they can respond in the way that the disciples did, the way that Abraham did, the way the woman did with Elijah and so many others. And they can trust That by giving this up, God is going to come through with more. It's not wrong to expect that. It's not even wrong to look for that. It's okay. Father, I thank you for the help that you give them. As they make that step, make that decision to move on. For the rest, we're working to get to another place where God gives us a call to give something up to move us on into the next place. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us to grow, get ourselves ready, that we would get to that next decision point in the time we're supposed to and not take longer to get there. Thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Hope the story here has meant something to you, helped you out with something in your life. We got the uh, word kind of late on um, uh, after the fact, I should say, but uh, Brother Lou was put into the hospital uh, for some conditions of, of things. There was some uh, air in his stomach, was it? They actually had a perforated bowel when they did the test, and so they did an um, emergency surgery, and they took um, part of that out, so uh, Ray gave me a call, I think, what was it, Friday morning? And that he'd already come through the operation, came through it better. And they had to do less work than they thought. So he was going to be in the hospital for less time in, I think, three to five days. Is there any more determination? Oh, today. Wow. Uh, just out of ICU. Just out. Oh, just out of ICU. Oh, okay. Wow, I was going to say, ICU right on out of there. <laughs> All right. So he's over at Grandview Hospital in the ICU ward right now. If they move him, when you get, if you want to go there and see him, they'll, they'll certainly let you know where they have moved him to. So he's up there at Grandview recovering from, from that. Um, we did have a prayer request that was turned in as well. Just trying to think if I had forgotten anyone else. But uh, from Candy, we had a prayer for her cousin, Lillian, that she was saved, that she is saved. She had a stroke and also a, a prayer for her cousin's family, the husband who, uh, husband who died. Okay. He was also saved. His name is... Beaver, that's the man who died? Yeah. Okay. So, the, uh, now how is your cousin Lillian related to Beaver? Uh, First cousin. Okay. That gives you an idea where they're. <laughs> I don't know all that stuff either. That's, uh, that's there. So, we can be praying for, for them as, as well. Some folks, are, of course, are still looking for some, some job opportunities, some interviews to go well. <laughs> we can uh, continue to pray with, with them. Uh, Daryl, I know, is still uh, going through some interview process. I believe uh, Corey is looking at some some interviews, too. We can pray for them and their, their spot there. And Sharon, yes, Sharon is uh, going through a bunch of them. She got, he has her pharmacy uh, that she's going after, and so we want to pray for, for that as well. So let's, let's pray for, for these things. Father God, we just thank you for the help that you, that you give each one of us in the things that we face. I thank you, Father, for the faith that's in Lou, that even though this came on as a surprise, he's ready to handle it. And ready to overcome and to believe in the healing process that you will just speed that up. The healing process of God will just come upon him. and Even, even faster than he was supposed to be, he will be healed. We thank you for that. We thank you too, Father, for Lillian. That you just minister to her faith. That she believes that Jesus is her Savior and that Jesus is her healer. And that you just send the right people along her path to minister faith and confidence in the Word of God. We thank you for the help there. Pray also for Sharon, for Daryl, for Corey, as they continue to look for jobs and employment. That, Father, you bring them to the right place. You find them favor with the right people. And that they've come upon jobs that they are skilled for. And that the blessing of God will be on that business because they have hired them. And we thank you for that. We thank you that in these positions they will soar As Daniel soared, as Daniel uh, was better than all his peers, you help us, Father, to be better at what we do than all the rest of those that are around, simply because we serve you. We don't have to put anybody down, tear anybody down, make anybody look bad. You just help us to make us shine. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.